Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about uh, the culture around dating, sex, gender, sex differences in this day and age. I have shows on weekly in Sydney, monthly in Melbourne, Newcastle, soon to be Western Sydney as well. Go to neildan.com and we have subscriptions available. If you'd like to ask us a question, send in a shout out, go to neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts. Eliza, how are you doing? Looking very intelligent with those glasses. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I actually don't need glasses. It's just for the glare. So I feel like I'm a cheat uh, with my perfect vision, but unfortunately, gray days kill me. But I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You shouldn't have told anyone that because it just makes you look very academic <laughs> and... Now it makes me look like a dickhead that I'm wearing glasses. Okay, you didn't hear the 20-minute rant. I just went on before to Neil about how sensitive my eyes are <laughs> to the outside grey days. So only on grey days or in fluorescent lights do I wear my glasses. Okay, so it's a bit up in the air whether she's going to wear the glasses. I hope you like If you're watching on YouTube, I hope you like these little colour sticks that I got. Colour sticks? <laughs> Color bulbs. How big I don't are know they? What called, Have you moved but... them really close to the camera or are they actually this big? Uh, they're, uh, they're about this big if you're watching on YouTube. So they're, Solid, uh, I think like... they're about 30 centimeters or so. Yeah. It's hard to say with no. the angle and where I'm sitting and things like that, but, uh, no, they're not that big, but they're nice and close to the camera. And I just want to, just want to add a bit of color. Just, uh, want to pizzazz the whole thing and try to grab people's attention if they're watching this visually. So I hope you enjoy that. If you are watching this on YouTube, uh, before we get into the podcast, we've got a lot to talk about on this episode. We're going to talk about uh, what to do when people refuse to change, when you're trying everything you can, either individually or, or, or as a family, as a society, yet people just refuse to change. It affects you. It brings you down. It can bring everyone down. So what do you do? When do you actually call it quits? And what is the morality and philosophy of something like that? I also have a story of something that happened to a friend of mine, a male friend of mine that um, I wanted to express on this podcast. He's given me permission to do that. No names are going to be mentioned there, but uh, it's a very intense story. So uh, I'd love to hear what uh, Liza has to say about it as well. Uh, but before we get into all that, this podcast is sponsored by Steady Freddy, steadyfreddy.com. They have a huge variety of men's sexual health products. They've got condoms. They've got a ball boost tablet. I've tried this a few times. It's actually really good. Increases your energy, increases your testosterone, all of that. But their best product is their premature ejaculation spray. Premature ejaculation is super common. It occurs to one in three guys it's very subjective. It's hard to define. It just means a man is ejaculating sooner than he wants to and causes mental distress. So if you've experienced this, look, we all have. I think it's actually more than one in three. We've all experienced a bit of premature ejaculation. They've got this amazing spray and that spray is formulated by Dr. David Reiner and it's all approved by regulatory authorities. And we also get a lot of, uh, they get a lot of orders from females buying on behalf of their partners. So uh, along with all their other amazing products, go to steadyfreddy.com. That's steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y, freddy, F-R-E-D-D-Y.com. And use the code SEXCELLS for 15% off. And the code is obviously S-E-X-C-E-L-L-S, steadyfreddy.com. That was very formal. 
getting yes. really good. Yes, and and at look these. at their Instagram profile as well because I went through it and they have like tips on how to finger a woman written by a lesbian and things like that. It's so great. I don't know if you've seen it, but I was like, yeah, this no, is I don't need that. I'm a accurate. Man. <laughs> I can figure it out. <laughs> but I love it. I love how sex positive they are and um, informative. <laughs> I thought it was great. There you go. Perfect sponsor for this for this podcast, isn't it? Like you couldn't perfect, have found yeah. a better fit. So thank you, Steady Freddy. <laughs> Check out their website. This podcast also, as always, sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. Go to crushorganics.com. Crush with a K. Use the code Neil for 40% off. That one just has the code with my name. The other one has the code with the podcast name. Uh, they have a huge range of CBD oil products. If you struggle with stress, anxiety, look, World War Three is on our doorstep. You want to <laughs> at least be able to sleep so that your mind is uh, functioning optimally when the invaders reach us. And the reason oh, thanks, <laughs> uh, to, to ingest a bit of CBD oil every night is to be at your best, be at your peak performance when uh, the authoritarians invade uh, Australia. <laughs> Many would say they, is, they already have invaded our government. Now this is getting mm. very political, but uh, crushorganics.com with a K. Use the code Neil for 40% off. All right. Eliza, what's been what's been happening in your life? What's uh, what's new? Uh, well, speaking of Crush, I've actually had a lot of people messaging me saying that they've bought it with your, um, with your code and have been loving it. And I actually did this training the other day um, for work on how like the long-term impact of stress impacts your body and gives you um, a lot of ailments and, and diseases and times and, you know, potentially cancer, those kind of things. Like basically stress is the biggest um, risk to a human's body. And so not the solution is never just CBD oil, but it is one of those things that you can add to kind of your toolbox along with, you know, mindfulness and, and therapy or whatever to help you de-stress. If you're a stressed person, definitely check it out, I reckon. But anyway, I have been, there's been nothing happening up here other than a lot of rains, a lot of flooding around me. Um, thankfully not on my street, just every single street <laughs> um, surrounding me mm, and out to Sydney. Here. So I haven't been able to get to Sydney. Whoops, which sucks. Um, but how have you been? What's been happening other than the new lights? <laughs> uh, that's the most exciting thing that has happened <laughs> in my life since we spoke last. I uh, I cleaned out my apartment yesterday, reorganized everything. And that was, oh, oh that was good. very therapeutic. I, I'm really getting so old. I'm this famous comedian. I should be doing coke and banging strippers, but no. Reorganizing You're excited my about apartment. new lights and cleaning the apartment. Yeah, going to Kmart. That that's what gets me off now. Going to Kmart, getting these nice, good, nice little light. Oh, whoops. <gasps> oh, there I thought it was changing color. You just turned it off. Oh. I turned it off. I got excited. I thought I was going to start strobing. Not quite. Not quite. I think you actually can get it to strobe. But uh, look, apologies for everyone listening on audio. This way, you got to watch the YouTube one. You get to see our beautiful faces and my brand new lights. I've uh, been doing shows all over the place. It's getting pretty hectic now because the goal has always been to do weekly in Sydney and then monthly uh, somewhere that is cost effective. So we're doing mm. Melbourne monthly, but there's a big cost there with uh, three people uh, with return flights and accommodation. Uh, yeah. But then we're doing monthly in Newcastle. We're planning to do a monthly Western Sydney because, uh, you know, Western Sydney and Sydney are basically different cities. And then we got to find one more. We're thinking either Wollongong or Canberra. You can drive there. Oh, um, that'd be good. And then once those are in place, uh, then we're going to do some uh, shows around the country as well. Brisbane, 
Gold Coast, Perth, Adelaide, and it's really fun doing shows as a as a trio, as a team, not just yes. as me. Um, How cute! Take Good a bit you. of a financial guys... cut, sure, but uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> Do you get sick of each other being like around each other all the time, working together? Not yet. Uh, they're getting. They're probably getting sick of me by now, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm course. definitely not sick of them. So yeah, come along to those. Shows. Uh, other than that, nothing really exciting, actually. Just, uh, just chilling. Just chilling. Can I ask you a question, actually, about your shows? Do you like it when people come up to you after the show and chat to you, or do you find that like stressful or annoying to make small talk with strangers? If it's been a good show, I love it. If it's been a bad show, sometimes it feels like work because I just kind of want to be by myself and re- yeah. collect my thoughts and think about what I did to uh cause that show to uh not be the best it possibly could be but no most of the time i'm totally fine with it i mean some people take it a bit too far and want me to be in a video and and just shove a camera in my face but at the same time i understand it's people who are very grateful to see me i mean a lot to them and it's it's still weird to to think that but uh that's essentially what's occurring there and it's uh, it's fun. It's nice. So yeah, for the most part, I I totally enjoy it. Have you had anyone recognize you in real life yet from doing this? <laughs> no. Where do I go? <laughs> Literally, go nowhere. They'd have to be just in my local calls <laughs> see me. Uh, so no, I haven't yet. But I've ha- actually I've had a lot of people that um. I've met that like 10 years ago or something, reach out to me on Facebook being like, it's so weird, like last seeing you at this event or whatever and having met you then and now watching and listening to you on a podcast, it feels like I know you, but I've met you twice. So things like that, wow. yeah, happens a lot, but never have I ever been approached. <laughs> I think I'm at that level yet for a few, uh, a lot of many years probably <laughs> but maybe one day i'm sure if i ever came to one of your shows someone would recognize me yeah you still got to do that you'd be surprised i, I know think people might have actually oh, recognized yeah. you and not uh necessarily gone up to you so i think it's a matter of time that's why again everyone's gotta gotta share those clips and oh oh we've uh started a sex sales instagram go to it's just sex sales podcast on instagram and on tiktok so follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We've got a separate yeah. social page and that's how we're going to grow this baby. So uh, now uh, this podcast is going to take a bit of a darker turn. So just brace yourself for this one. This is a event that occurred to a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, I'm not going to say who, uh, but he has given me permission to speak about this story on the podcast. I think it's relevant and it's topical based on what we talk about. So he was at a party. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, he was drunk. I think he had had a, uh, a cap. Uh, so he was having fun. And there was a girl there was making eyes with him. They were definitely feeling a bit of chemistry there. Uh, mm. And they went into a room. Now, this is the girl there. I'm pretty sure it was her house. So it was her family's house. And they started making out. They started doing what you do in that situation. Now, he basically said, look, I don't really want to have sex. I also don't think I can. I've, got, I've had way too much alcohol and drugs. Okay, so uh, mm. I don't think he was uh, capable of uh, mm. potentially engaging in intercourse there. But he said, hey, look, just add me on Instagram. I'll, uh, I'll, I definitely want to fuck you uh, just maybe <laughs> next week. And then she sort of kept uh, 
pestering him saying no 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 like you'll get hard eventually just like let me let me let me go down on you let me do all these things and and then it, oh. that sort of went on for a while and then he eventually kind of put the foot down and said no nah, look I, i'm gonna go back to the party now i don't i don't want to have sex he goes to the door the door's locked and then he said can you unlock the door and she said no i want you to fuck me and he's like is, is this you know is this a joke are you serious right now uh so she's key locked the door and he's oh. like, I don't want to fuck you. I don't want to have sex with you. I, I, I do eventually, just not right now. And she basically just kept um, pressuring him into it. And he couldn't leave. And every time he tried to actually kind of, from his account, like sort of basically go up to her and say, like, can you open this door? He got quite aggressive. Like, I need you to open this door right now. That would turn her on. And... It was a very, uh, it was a dark situation. Now, because he's okay with it now, uh, that part is like in a very dark way, kind of funny that she kept getting turned on every time he was like, can you open this fucking door? But uh, if the gender roles were reversed, like this is legitimately very scary. clear sexual assault and very yeah. scary as well. And then yeah. uh, she actually said something along the lines of, I'm just going to tell everyone we fucked anyway. And who are they going to believe, Aww. the woman or the man? Which then was probably the scariest point for him because he's yeah. thinking, well, yeah, well, who are they going to believe if any other uh, situation was talked about, uh, the woman or the man? And this went on for about half an hour until eventually oh she let him out and he was pretty shaken up. And then his friends uh, elsewhere in the party could see that he was shaken up. He did tell them uh, and then he didn't see her through it for throughout the rest of the party and then he called me that night and I was just shocked hearing it and I just couldn't even I didn't know what to say uh, again I just got to keep reiterating like he is totally fine and he was shaken up about it at the time but that's mm. a pretty that's bizarre terrifying. and scary situation yeah. because if even though as the man you would generally have the the physical advantage in that situation if she said something like well who are they going to believe then you're trapped because i can't i'm locked in i'm not going to just you know eventually i might have to defend myself if she's actually really sort of physically pressuring me for sex but even then it's just this kind of really awkward and scary situation where i basically have to perform or else mm. she's not even going to let me out of this room so I thought this podcast would be a, a good um, opportunity to uh, speak about that situation. Now, in all these situations, uh, I have absolutely no doubt that my friend was telling the the 100% truth uh, in these situations that whenever it's hearsay, whenever it's someone recounting, it's always important to know that there always is this other side to the story and, and little subtle things can be different. But that's the basic gist of the situation. And... It's uh, I, I I'm actually quite speechless. I don't really have the words to describe what that is, but it is very it's it's scary, and it's uh, we all know what that would be if the uh, sexes were reversed in that situation. And there's a very clear argument to say that well, regardless of who the uh, person doing the pressuring is, that's still the same uh, unethical act. And yeah. both both people were very very drunk. Uh, as we know, that's not an excuse there, but the fact that something like this can 
happen um, is is shocking, and mm. I think uh, it's worthwhile getting it out there because a lot of people may not believe something like that could happen. But there you go. Yeah, wow, that's that's so sad and scary that he experienced that, especially when someone threatens, I'll tell people we had sex or I'll tell people you raped me or I'll tell people this. It is really hard to think, well, who's going to be more believed at a party, a man or a woman where we know that most women that are like, you know, raped or sexually assaulted, it occurs at parties when they're under the influence. So obviously she knows she has a leg up and an advantage in saying that. So it's a really scary situation and yet it is sexual assault. And if he did have sex with her in order to get out, then that even if he was like, fine, let's do it, that's still considered rape. It's coerced. Um, And it was at that point, what he felt like could have been his only option if he'd gone through down that road it's it's really shocking to see that that's actually happened and in this day and age as well where people should be really educated on consent the interesting part like you said was you know her getting more and more turned on by him denying her which is surprisingly common and people people find that they have I guess, in, in, inclinations or are aroused by rejection, humiliation, aggressiveness. Um, and it's quite a lot more common than we think. So I, I'm assuming she's going down that road of she, the more he resists, the more she's wanting it, um, which is really shocking and sad to think that she's not taking into account anything he's saying it all and I actually had a friend um a a guy this exact same exactly the same situation happened to him at he was at a girl's house her party could be the same girl then I wonder um this is like a couple of years like two years ago and she was pressuring him and pressuring him and pressuring him he kept saying no he couldn't leave he was freaking out um eventually after a long time same thing Finally, she lets him out. He didn't have sex with her, but he made, I don't want to say he made the mistake, but he unfortunately slept there with a lot of other people, just crashed on the couch in a different room and woke up to her inserting his penis inside her. And essentially she raped him. Um, And he didn't talk about it for years because he was like, well, I didn't realize that, you know, I had got stimulated. I got an erection. It was already happening by the time I woke up. Like, what was I going to do? Who was going to believe me? Those kind of things. But unfortunately, as time went on, even though he felt almost okay after the event, the further along it went, the more he realized that, hang on, I actually been raped. Um, And it took him a really long time, literally two years to realize that was rape, um, what happened to him. And he now speaks about it quite openly, posted about it on his Instagram story and how much it's like formed his relationships, the way he interacts with women, the trust he has, his anxiety around a lot of things, how it's impacted his intimacy and desire. Um, So it's a really scary and... I, I would say underreported probably situation that happens because it can get overlooked, especially by, you know, other men that are like, come on, man, she's hot. Like get over it. She wanted you or something and not realize that it doesn't matter <laughs> if someone says no, no, obviously means no. Um, and it's really poor form of her to not be listening to him and ignoring him, denying and saying no. It's so sad and so scary to think who else, has she done that too? 
where they've literally just been like, shit, it's just going to be easier to do it. Yeah. And shocking. He said that in, in the heat of the moment, he was also making the argument like, hey, if the roles were reversed here, what would you say about this? And she kept deflecting yeah. and saying, basically, just, just, it'll be fine. You'll get hard eventually. Just fuck me. Which is the worst yeah. strategy to get a guy hard if that's what you want anyway. But that's not the yeah. thing. In, that's not the uh, significant uh, occurrence here. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure if you actually sat that girl down and asked her, hey, if, if that was a man who locked girl into a room and said, she she said, no, I don't want to have sex. Uh, I, I do think you're attractive. I do want to fuck you. I just don't want to have sex right now. And he said, no, no, come on. It'll be, f- no, you'll get aroused eventually. Uh, you're locked in. You can't leave. Ah, uh, that's turning me on. That is rape. So yeah. I, I'm yeah. sure any sane person would, would agree that that is rape or at the very least assault. So mm. I don't know why she thinks there's this different standard for for men there and it's quite frustrating yeah, to say the least clearly using a female privilege there to in order to manipulate and get what she wants and i think the thing is is that this if the genders were reversed it actually does happen to women a lot i know it, basically every single girl i know that's sexually active has experienced one of those situations not being locked in a room but just saying no and then a man being like come on babe please it'll feel really good like it'll be two minutes please just a tiny bit like just do this a little bit and then just feeling like saying no, 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 so many times at the end, you're just like, fine, like just get it over and done with. And then not realizing to later on how f- fucked up that situation is. So like it's, it people are just like, well, just continue to say no and leave it like that. But it actually, there's, you know, psychological phenomena that it wears you down when people continuously repeat the same thing, do this, do this, do this over and over and over again. It wears you down. It makes you exhausted. He's already, you know, under the influence of alcohol and things like that. Like how much fight do you have in it? He can't punch her. Unfortunately, exactly. well, yeah, he no... can, but the ramifications will be bigger for him than they are for her. Unfortunately, um, he's locked in a room. It's it's really fucked up. Um, what happened to him? I hope, like, I hope that he's doing okay. I think probably now he'll be feeling more okay. But maybe the more he reflects on it, the more messed up that might feel to him. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely uh mm. check in, check in, and make yeah. sure he is okay. But uh, it's. it's it sounds like he is. He is a very, some of the stories, because he is a very attractive man. We'll say that. He gets a right. hit on a lot. And I mean, one time I was out with him quite recently, actually, and a girl who was there with her boyfriend uh, started hitting on him when the boyfriend went to the bathroom and said, oh, you're really cute. Can I get your number? While her boyfriend was in the bathroom. Now that's... <gasps> That's wild. That's very wild. And that's also, look, it's not, <laughs> I wouldn't call that, uh, no, I would. I would say that's quite unethical, actually, especially considering yeah. your boyfriend <laughs> is there with you. Uh, oh that's pretty God. gross. So <laughs> he's seen a very dark side of <laughs> a lot of women. And not many <laughs> men actually experience this. No, but like a, a select few Like a very few select do. few, <laughs> yeah. And they... They have a, I'm not, I'm not at all saying it's the same here, but they, they probably have a closer experience to what the average woman may have because, uh, it's, it's, yeah, he, his stories are, um, unbelievable sometimes. 
And sometimes wow. in a weird way, that's hard for a lot of other people to actually have sympathy because they think, oh, wow, a hot girl locked you in a room and wanted to fuck you. Yeah. Oh, poor you. But no, like, if we're going to be consistent here, if we're going to have a yeah. consistent sense of morality, that is whatever it would be if the uh, genders were reversed. So he uh, would definitely have some stories. And I wonder wow. if maybe down the track he'd be willing to come onto the podcast. But yes, till then. Yes, that'd be so good. Yeah, till then. Uh, I Every time I go out with him, it's it's phenomenal, actually. It is very impressive. Uh, it's It's amazing just looking at how many... How many girls also will just do a double take and that will just approach him and, and just say, hey, you're really cute. Can My friend thinks you're cute or, you know, on that sort of something along those sorts of lines. And there is this very small select group of men that do experience this. And it's a very different experience to the average man. The average I man doesn't get that at all. I a single guy that has experienced that. I've never known a guy that has that experience. Like it's that rare, I think. I'm I'm Unless not and I'm just humble. I'm not exaggerating here when I say this but when we go out almost 50% of the time someone will just maybe yeah. not directly ask him for his number or offer their number but very clearly be flirtatiously be flirtatious and, and they will take yeah. the lead as well it's not as though he wow. he just kind of just doesn't have to do anything he just stands there and wow you wouldn't necessarily pick it if you saw him. He's a very good-looking guy. He's very tall. He's very, uh, he's very approachable, I think. Uh, but yeah. he's not. Well, I suppose then he's an example of that male and female gaze at play. But he's not what I guess men would think is that kind of alpha, dominant kind it's of a guy. Female which, gaze. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have expected. Probably she sees I, and, him ha- having fun and being goofy or whatever. And yeah, and, I think and there's a bit more of that. And and I wouldn't have yeah. even expected that sort of a guy to, you know, that form of that what i think what men maybe aspire f- to to be for themselves i think a lot of us can understand that's not necessarily it, it may help us with with women it's not necessarily like the ideal uh body type and and look for a woman either um yes. so it's not super shocking to me but it's still what is shocking is just the amount of interest he gets but uh, we'll we'll leave that one there because we're uh, uh, nearly half an hour into the podcast and we've got to get into the. But good, it's a good thing to bring up. What episode are we on now? What is this? We're like... in the eighties, I think, in the seventies <gasps> or eighties. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what number we're up to, but we're getting we close to a hundred. Our... We're getting close. When we do our like a hundredth episode, we should have people like guests speak, <laughs> like your mate. Yeah. Uh, if look, yeah, if he's willing to do it, I'll 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 ask him. But I don't know if he'd be comfortable uh, doing that. But I'd love to talk to uh, other people in 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 your field uh, and yeah. bring them on, and people who've maybe written books. And I know there's quite a few notable yeah. uh, people in that profession in Australia. And I saw uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Roommates podcast, but there uh, these two guys in America that talk about dating a lot sort of generally tailored towards a younger male audience and they managed to get Esther Perel on their on their podcast so uh, maybe imagine that imagine that yeah that for the 100th episode we can try and organize something like that because she is both well she is for both of us our uh (laughs) idol in many respects in this yeah in this field so uh that would be quite remarkable to get her on board there but uh, as I said at the start of this podcast, I wanted to talk about 
people who don't change. Now, this is a very broad topic, but I don't want to just focus on people who don't change in the context of a romantic relationship. I want to just talk about people who don't change in general. And Eliza, you are someone who works with uh, underprivileged youth and people who have experienced a lot of uh, trauma, uh, particularly in their younger years and and may have uh, addictions and participate in in antisocial behavior and i'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for you when you make it well almost your life's mission to to help people change and to improve their circumstances and and they don't do it now there's only so much support you can give you can let's take someone maybe who, who who is addicted to drugs you can you can give them financial support you can give them emotional support you can lead them in the right direction but ultimately it's on them to actually take that support and 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 take some action and at least try i have a lot of respect for people who maybe if they haven't completely changed their circumstances they've they've tried now yeah. when there are people who you do everything you can for and they just refuse to even try you know, you know they refuse to maybe take medication or they refuse to go to appointments and they refuse to read or you know look at the resources you may have sent them it's just it's frustrating because then they have a victim mentality and think well i am the way i am because of how the world treated me but they're not even trying and that's what really gets to me so i'd love to hear first your broad thoughts on 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 a subject like this well it really resonates when you say like they're not even trying and it really gets to me because when i first started working in this industry that would just kill me where people would be coming and asking for help and we would I'd give them every single solution possible and try to do that you know underlying psychology and the the counseling to help them come to those decisions themselves which they always do eventually and things like that but then it would just be the next day same thing same thing same thing like I remember working with a a 13 year old boy and he was homeless and he was bouncing from foster care to foster care foster parent no one would take him because his behaviors were so high and eventually we got him into this program which costs a hundred thousand dollars a month and basically the only requirement for him to live here was stay at school and then you can get um not only can you live here but you can get a scholarship to a very extremely privileged high school in Sydney, which costs thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to attend a boys' school, and um, he repeatedly just didn't go to school, and just anyway ended up losing this opportunity because he didn't feel like going into school, even though I'd be driving to his house at seven in the morning every single day of the week to drive him to school and get him there, and then he would just leave, and it was beyond frustrating to me to sit down and be really transparent and be like, if you don't do this for two and a half weeks, your entire life and the trajectory of your life is gonna change. Like this is the best opportunity we can offer you. Actually, it's the best opportunity that any kid could be given in this situation. It will turn your life around if you can get the scholarship because he's like a crazy sports athlete that they would, this this high school wanted him because they knew he would, he would make it big if he went there. And he was at indigenous as well, so. They were like, oh, this would look good. Indigenous sports star. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, that that opportunity was was taken. And because of that, then that fell apart. And then his whole life 
basically fell apart and he's in juvie now <laughs> and it was so sad and that was like always that one situation where I was I was way 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 too involved with this kid because he didn't have parents and I just felt like at this moment well I actually did hold legal responsibility and parental responsibility of this child so I felt very much like if I can't change him it's not his life's going to be fucked which unfortunately at the moment it is because he's looking at a very very long time that's going to turn into um an adult sentence because of what he did, unfortunately. But that was kind of like how I was in the early days. But now I understand a lot more about trauma. And when people say that victim mentality that used to just get under my skin, being like the world's been so hard on me, it will never get better. Trauma does actually significantly impact a person's ability to change because a child that has experienced trauma will forever be in survival mode. They cannot think logically and rationally like a child or a person that has not experienced prolonged exposure to trauma. Your brain is set up differently. It's wired completely differently. And all you're thinking about is survival, whether or not they consciously realize it, they are in a survival setting. And sometimes survival mode can be detrimental to us. It can be, I'm manipulative and I lie because that's the only way I can stop. I knew how to stop my parent from being violent or um, I still, because that's the only way as, as a three-year-old or five-year-old or whatever, I knew how to get food and things like that. And you can't, it's really hard to outgrow those settings. And when I started in this field, they would say, well, if you put a kid into a loving home, for three to six months and really work with them, then, you know, that that will change and they'll be safe and we can change their wiring. Then after a couple of years, it changed to two years. They need to stay in a home for two years before their behaviors reduce and they can start to make change. Now they say it's five years. So how many children that have experienced severe trauma get an opportunity in their childhood to live in a completely safe environment for five years where they can finally learn to step out of the survival and into just the rational, logical brain. Um, So I understand it a lot more now. And once you're set like that and you don't, if you don't get that intervention as a child, it's even harder to change it as an adult, which is why, you know, we see that commonly in people with drug addiction. And basically you speak to any single person that has a, a drug addiction and they had trauma in their childhood, like, or in their life, but significant trauma. And the stats about drug addiction, I can't remember, like, off the top of my head, but it's something like only 12% of people that have a severe drug addiction, like the the highest level of drug addiction, can actually overcome that and stay sober or away from their drug of choice. And that's such a bleak statistic. And I have worked in drug and alcohol before, and I found it extremely frustrating because you spend years with the same clients working with them over and over again about the same thing and it really to have you have to make you know yourself realize that this isn't about they're not going to think the same way as us there's always the well logically it doesn't make sense to do what you're doing but it's so much more than logic so it's a very uh change and changing your habits and your personality is so hard even just for the everyday person like you and i let alone people that have you know experienced shit in their life (laughs) For me, I, I I can totally acknowledge that they they have a different wiring in their brain, and so it's hard for me to sort mm. of project my consciousness onto them and say, if I were in that position, I would at least try. And it can come across as callous and and cold in that regard, uh, particularly with children who mm. aren't able to think as rationally as an adult and can't uh, necessarily respond to uh, 
long-term incentives in the same way an adult can, especially mm-hmm. because their brain hasn't fully formed and the way it has formed so far is uh, an aberration in comparison to the average child who may not have experienced that level and that degree of uh, trauma. Man, it's still frustrating though, as you say. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, okay, then I suppose the question becomes what, how do you extrapolate on, on something like that statistic you just said, which is that, okay, 12% of people who have a severe drug addiction actually overcome it? That's, that's very bleak. That's, uh, that's sad to hear because we love to hear the stories of people who have overcome those sorts of things. Now, mm-hmm. what implications does that have for, I, I suppose, the, the cultural system we currently exist in and where generally the Western world seems to be moving along a trajectory that's a lot more forgiving for people who have ailments such as drug addiction and uh, we uh, are implementing things like like they did in, I believe, Portugal where there's uh, centres to uh, inject very safely uh, as opposed to just criminalising it and shaming it. But is there then an argument to be made that if, if... using drugs as a, as a sort of coping mechanism or as a trauma response has such a low uh, rate of, of people turning that around, do we need to sort of take a utilitarian view on, and, and, and we can not just talk about drugs, we can talk about any sort of maybe um, negative issue that people might be facing, whether it's just a sort of simple behavioral habit or something much more significant like drug but do we need to have a like a, a degree of societal shame so that people avoid it in the first place or they're more likely to avoid it in the first place and and weigh that up mm-hmm. with the shame that people who may already be addicted to it feel what what do you think about something like that I think no <laughs> because I think there is already a massive like societal shame um that does stir like it definitely turned me away from ever going into something like that um going down you know that road that and the fact that I don't have so much baggage that I need to cope with but unfortunately people that um have drug addictions and things like that or alcohol addictions they started frequently very frequently at a very young age because it was the only thing that gave them an escape from whatever they were experiencing and then it becomes part of their every single day norm where they don't know how to survive without it And going through um, a detox or coming out of drug addiction is the most challenging aspect of recovery, which I think the biggest issue is that getting into a decent rehabilitation center in Australia is incredibly difficult or expensive if you want to go somewhere good. And what they do is they chuck people the free rehabs, they put people in there for three to four weeks, get them clean and then put them out on the street. But unfortunately that is not going to cut it like you can take something a method away from someone but they still haven't actually learned how to cope and function without that um and the most successful cases we see are those that are in rehab for over a year really living in a rehab with zero access to the emotional or physical cues that cause them to to use because basically what happens when it's short term they go back straight into an environment where that's their cues are everywhere. It's the people, it's where they live, it's what they're doing and everything like that just cues that addiction straight up again. So how can we change someone's environment without money? Like completely change someone's environment. It's it's difficult. Yeah, the the to me there's a different uh 
conversation when we're talking about someone who is already addicted to whatever substance mm-hmm. or, or negative behavior it may be and and trying to get them out of that because that's as we've as you've said it's exceedingly difficult but is there uh, a way that that we can preclude pre- people from ever engaging in that behavior in the first place i know it's impossible to ever fully eradicate something like that and historically yeah. they have tried very hardline stances and it well i don't know the exact statistics there but uh, you'd have to sort of measure what the the drug uh usage rate was when they had a very strict christian ethic that was sort of upheld by the state versus in a more progressive society i would i would say like i i the way i grew up at least in um you know my (laughs) geographical location and my class strata there was I never felt shame uh, doing drugs. If anything, it was the thing that the cool kids did. And it really? was constantly spoken about in <laughs> rap music. And and I know I sound like a, a, a grandparent here, but I had no shame at all. Uh, I, I had a, a bit of a personal shame, I think mainly due to my upbringing, but particularly in high school, no, it was the cool kids that were smoking weed and it was quite sort of socially fashionable to be the drug wow. dealer and the pill dealer was actually very <laughs> popular in the high school. And I, I, I have to say I had a very different experience to you because, I, I mean, you did go to a Catholic high school. I, I went to a, a secular public school and it was the complete opposite. There was pressure yeah. to engage in that behaviour. And if you weren't binge drinking at every high school party, you were... Um, you weren't part of the tribe. You weren't part of the group. And and I think there is something to be said. It's such a fine line and it's a hard balance because if you stigmatize it too much, then there is a high degree of shame that can make uh, uh, getting out of a downward spiral much harder. But then if you don't stigmatize it at all, it can actually become quite fashionable and 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 cool for lack of a better word as i experienced and as many people particularly i think who grew up in lower socioeconomic areas experience because i would never try and um police and restrict artistic expression but when you do look at something like hip-hop and the culture surrounding it and, and just how popular that is among young people particularly young boys it does glorify that and i know this is the sort of argument that's expressed on sky news and and fox news in america but they're not entirely wrong. I mean, it, when you glorify something like that, when you have artists that are, you know, sort of using it as a symbol, first, of, I think it was a symbol against cultural authoritarianism, but then it became, it's it's also a way for record companies to make money. I mean, there's not a, this sort of virtuous underpinning to maybe what the, the sort of 60s hippie drug revolution had. This is just essentially like what sales are when, when a guy who's seen as street is smoking and, and constantly talking about that, that sells, that makes a profit. But what cost does mm-hmm. that have? What sort of social cost does that have for society? But I, I guess we're focused a lot on, on just drugs here. How about we, we, I mean, I'll let you, I'll let you say anything in response to what I just said, but then let's also talk about in a relationship. I mean, this is a huge frustration uh, for a lot of mm-hmm. people. It, it seems to be a huge frustration for uh, married couples where people just refuse to change and refuse to even make an effort to change. Uh, now, this is a situation where, like, let's say if someone's not necessarily uh, making the effort to uh, create an atmosphere of intimacy 
that's not a trauma response. That is actually potentially just laziness or, or just yeah. someone who doesn't value the habit. relationship. Yeah. Uh, so what I would imagine is extre- exceedingly frustrating is when someone's been told that behavior isn't, isn't optimal for the relationship and, and there hasn't necessarily been a discussion. Maybe someone's accepted that, but then they're not actually, their actions aren't showing it. So they can, that I think is a really, uh, it's, it's mm. just a poor character trait when people will say, yeah, 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 I'll make an effort. And then they don't. I mean, that's nothing more frustrating than, than that to me. So uh, first, uh, let me hear any, any response you have to what I said about the societal uh, conditioning around drug taking and alcoholism. But then also let's go into uh, the uh, less intense topic of uh, people not <laughs> changing their behaviors in a relationship. Yeah, well, I guess uh, for drug taking, I think that you're a spot on the money where it is it is not just societal, but um, social. Like what ha- what does the social peer group find or, or perceive to be, you know, right or wrong or cool or not cool and that influences everything. Like I grew up in Northbridge and I went to Monty, which is a very privileged all-girls school in North Sydney and I definitely have a privileged life. And throughout high school... Um, I literally never once in my entire life, except one time, saw people in my grade or my year or all the parties we attended take drugs, um, not even weed. And I used to go to parties with like Riverview boys and Aloes boys and things like that. We never, ever saw it. I remember there was one kid that... um, a boy, not even from my own school, from a different school that when you smoked weed and everyone was like, oh my God, he's so far off the deep end. Like someone needs to help him. And I'd be messaging him being like, are you okay? Like reach out to me because I just thought it was wow. the craziest thing ever. And he was like 15. And um, then two girls in, in year 12 or my high school smoked weed on the tennis courts. And it was the most scandalous thing that happened in our entire school. Every single like 1200 kids were talking about these two girls that were caught smoking weed, like how wild is that? Blah, blah, blah. So I definitely think that, you know, it's super interesting to see when I actually started work working, one of the first schools I worked in when I was like 19 was um, Forest, Forest High School in the Northern Beaches. And I was so shocked and taken aback because I was only two or three years out of high school and this school had fucking gangs they had dealers um they were doing drugs and all the kids were like you know you have to do this or you just you're a loser and I was like this could not be any more different to what I experienced and Adrian actually went to that school as well which is funny because I was like this is the worst high school I've ever seen and um he was very much you know every single person smoked weed every, <laughs> every day it was what they all did he was a little stoner um and it's just very vastly different. And it's not like I had education around drugs that he didn't. It was just that my entire school peer age privileged white girls basically thought it was not cool to do drugs. And that was why we all stayed off drugs. <laughs> mm. So the Environment um, is so uh, important yeah, in that super situation. Interesting. And, I, and I'm also, I just want to add one last thing. I'm not, I'm not against, I do smoke weed. I mean, I, I don't think, I think... <laughs> when you're an adult and when uh you understand the ramifications of it uh, i don't have a yeah. problem with i don't i'm not trying to say we should you know reenact prohibition or something like that i'm i'm yeah. still on the fence about totally legalizing weed i think um yeah. there's costs and benefits both ways there but by no means am i you know i'm i'm not trying to sit on a stand on a high horse here i'm just 
yeah. trying to see both sides of the uh, cultural argument there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, less harm is done on weed, but that being said, weed has a higher impact on the brain that stays long-term and is irreversible for children and young people. So if you're, if you're young, just please like limit it as much as you can until your brain's developed and then, you know, go for it. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my advice. But anyways, um, in relationships, I, I definitely resonate with everything you said. I feel called out because this is definitely a cycle that I, I have actually fallen very much, um, not victim to, but maybe the perpetrator of, uh, where I am that person that can't change even though I say I really want to change and it's so simple it's just that you know Adrian's love language is acts of service he does everything our house is spotless because he wakes up in the morning cleans he comes home he cleans and he does all these things he's a very tidy person and I think the longer we've been together because I almost anticipate him being really clean probably the more untidy I've become because he just cleans up after me which I know sound I sound like such a dick <laughs> just even saying it um but it's just he always says oh, I love cleaning and he used to be like I find it so cute you leave little cups everywhere and I put them away like it used to be cutesy but now he's like all right um I need you to just like put it in the dishwasher it's that simple and I'm like I will clean the bedroom put your clothes away and every single time he says it to me, I'm so like, oh my God, I know, I'm so sorry. Like, yes, I am really actually want to um, work on this. Like every night we say like something that um, like a good part of our day and something like our goal for tomorrow or whatever. And my goal is always to be clean, but do I fulfill it? Probably 30% of the time I do. And then I was reading, I think it was Atomic Habits. I was reading something about change and the psychology of change. And it's like, well, wanting it is one thing, but it means nothing. It's how committed are you to actually doing it? And then I realized I have such little commitment to doing that because I know that it gets done for me. And that's how I grew up as well with a mom that did, you know, all these things. She was stay-at-home mom that did everything for me. And I have to call myself out on that and put in like, the effort. But then sometimes I think, God, how many times have I fucking told Adrian, I'm going to be really clean. I'm going to be really tidy. I'm going to start doing this from now on. Like how people say, I'm going to be really fit and I'm going to do this, do it for two days. And then it's gone. It's completely gone. <laughs> it is so common and so frustrating for that, for the other person. Um, and there will always be that little thing that people are promising you to change on. And it part of it is absolutely laziness. Part of it is, you know, who we are as people, but also just breaking habits in general is extremely difficult thing to do. Um, and what was interesting about that book, Atomic Habits, is he says one of the one of the first things you have to do is change your environment. So change whatever the trigger is. So for me, there is no trigger <laughs> to keep things untidy. Uh, but for other people, it would be like, let's say I want to get fit. The trigger is going to be, is there junk food in their home? Is there, am I easily accessible to this? Do I have DoorDash as a favorite app? Whatever. Um, and he also says you need to make change attractive in order for it to work. What's attractive about cleaning? Nothing to me. Like how can I make that an attractive goal? But, you know, it is also just it's self-discipline. Unfortunately, it is. It's discipline day in, day out, repeatedly until that becomes your new new norm. <laughs> you have to, I think, I love that book, Atomic Habits. And if you haven't read it, it's yeah. a brilliant read. And I found the, the best way in my life to uh, instill a new habit and continually develop that and enhance it over time is 
you have to one experience the cost of not performing that habit and in quite an impactful way yeah. and then you also have to event at least eventually experience the benefit of uh consistently partaking in that habit mm. so you take something like cleaning for example yeah no one i don't think there's a very small minority of people who like to clean some people find it very cathartic and therapeutic yeah uh, i don't i don't like it at all it feels like a chore but uh, i've been in this apartment when it's a mess and it's slowly built up over time you think oh yeah i'll do that tomorrow i'll clean the dishes another day and before you know it, in a couple of weeks, it's a, just an absolute pigsty. Yeah. And you bear the cost of that. You eventually mm -hmm. can't organize yourself properly and you just feel like garbage when you live in a, an environment like that. Uh, and at the same time, when I've uh, consistently cleaned on a regular schedule, I, uh, I feel refreshed mentally. It, it's a nice to come home to an apartment that is organized and I'm not going to say spotless, but uh, nice and uh, everything seems in order and it does, uh, I, I like to think it's a sort of reflection of the inner world as well. I find uh, when things in my life are going well and I've been doing my habits effectively, I, I sort of, that, yeah. that manifests in me wanting to clean my apartment and wanting to keep it nice and organized and i say this uh, as i said in the start of this podcast i just did a big organizational uh clean out yesterday and it feels really good i can look into where all my equipment is and it's all mm. neatly packed there and and in in the appropriate box and uh it, it it's great it feels really good now people latch onto excuses in in those situations mm. one of those is that okay there is this statistic out there that it says people who are high in creativity and high in IQ tend to have messier rooms. Okay, that does not mean everyone who has a messier room is higher in creativity it's and true. IQ. Okay, so you it's can't use that true. as an excuse. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a situation where, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine it might be a bit frustrating for, for Adrian when, when you, you know, he can, he can see that sometimes you're making the effort, but then sometimes the words are there, but the action isn't there and, and look yeah. this is a story every couple will will have i'm sure there'll be an, a, a time yeah. with me and andrea where something like this is gonna occur but uh it's you know after a while you start to if it's something major i mean something like cleaning doesn't is is well that's actually it is common but if it's something really major um and someone's refusing to do it you know even just like something to do with their professional life or something very impactful for the relationship yeah. and someone says they're going to do it and they refuse to do it it can be a relationship ending experience for a lot of people because or it's a lack of respect like cheating as well oh well they yeah that becomes habitual then, and yeah it's yeah it's absolutely and, and people are like it's so easy to control and i think that you know what i always say with the cleaning and stuff is you know it's important to adrian because fair enough you want to live in a clean place and um for me like you might say my love language is physical touch so i'm very much like if he hasn't hugged me at all in that day i think about it a lot like he hasn't hugged me and like i always say to him i really want you to like you know initiate more hugs or whatever so let's say and he doesn't and then i get a little bit bothered and it's so easy to just say my remind him and be like can I have a hug or whatever whatever that's just my maturity at that time overtaking me or immaturity I guess but it's 
we both agree when we talk about it. It's just that it doesn't enter your mind. Like it's not something that you think about because you haven't entered that into your consciousness much before. So I don't remind, I don't think about like cleaning and he doesn't think about hugging me all the time because it's just the habit of that's the, the nature in which we live in. Um, but or the, the way that our habits are. And I think a really good part of that book, Atomic Habits, is basically that he says, if you want to know the outcome of your life or you don't want to know, you want to know what your future is going to be. It's literally just an accumulation of all your small habits that you do every day. Um, and mm. nothing is going to change your outcome other than your own habits and also how you speak about yourself and your language is incredibly influential in in how you're like I always say I'm a nurturing person or I'm an empathetic person or I'll say I'm a creative person and you know what I embody that and I also say I'm just not a I'm not a tidy person and guess what I embody that or I'll say something like I'm bad with money I'm an overspender and then I embody that. So I think that's something that I always actually work on with my clients is change your language about how you describe yourself. And often your that's the very first step you can do for your behaviors to follow suit. But it becomes, it's your behaviors stem further down than just habit. It stems from your values um, and your morals and your identity. Um, so that's the first thing that you have to change in order for it to have that kind of ripple effect um and the reason why they say you need to make it attractive is because it needs to be sustained over a long period of time um otherwise it's it needs to be doable it needs to be something that you can implement into your every single everyday experience otherwise you're just gonna revert back to your you know previous habits because our brain have you know millions of synapses and and pathways that you know if you walk down a specific pathway through a forest 10,000 times and do that same habit and you go back to the start of that forest are you going to walk through the matted bush or are you going to walk down a pathway what's easier but if you walk down the matted bush over and over again another 10,000 times then that's going to be a pathway that you're probably more likely to take after some time so it's it's time it's repetition and it's also the psychological underpinnings as to why we are kept in this pattern or why that behavior might be serving us. I know that my behavior serves me because I can be lazy and I know that Adrian's a super fucking tidy person. So the house will be spotless regardless of if I contribute to that or not, because he's clean. So what's easier, you know, like I, I can recognize that about myself. It's a big flaw. <laughs> I'm working on it, but it's, um, it's, yeah. Well, it, it's, yeah. It takes time to change even little habits like that. It takes yeah. a lot of time. Um, and there's yeah, there's a clear distinction. I agree with everything you said. It's changing the narrative. It's mm -hmm. something I've talked about on this on both podcasts just numerous times. So I won't go through it again. But yeah, changing your, just your personal narrative and the sort of story you tell yourself about who you are can can go a long way to changing your habits. But mm -hmm. uh, e even then, you know, you want to see concrete action at the end of the day. And and say in a professional mm -hmm. relationship, okay, if you're working with someone and uh, you're you know, you're working collaboratively and you depend upon each other. There's someone who uh, fits every little role in a, in a system. And if, if one role isn't being performed to its uh, best possible uh, degree, then the whole uh, system suffers. So it's, it's important for everyone to, to really uh, continually better themselves or at least live up to a standard that is expected of them. And, it then just 
creates more work for other people to do if someone isn't sort of living up to that and eventually it can ultimately lead to people being fired and losing their job and all sorts of things but Mm. there's just nothing more frustrating than someone who says they're going to change and and is doing and and even says like I, I can see they, they even express the empathy where I can see, you know, it, it, it affects you. It's, it, I can see this is something that means a lot to you, but then they don't partake in, simp- in, in those simple actions that are going to at least mm. lead them in the right direction and put them on that trajectory yeah. to eventually over the course of three to five years changing, ultimately changing who they are, which comes with changing just uh, basic habits, da- basic daily mm. habitual exercises, as as that book says, that, w- that that will accumulate and completely change who you are in another five years. Now, it's it is hard because a lot of good habits don't you don't experience the benefit of the good habit till well t- till a long time down the track, five yes, years later, ten yeah. years later, and even then you might not even experience the benefit of that habit. You may just offset the potential consequences of not performing that habit and that's a very very hard thing to to uh get people to perform when they're not even going to experience any benefit they're just going to potentially not experience the consequences of not doing that habit um something Mm. that has a short-term benefit is say working out like everyone it's it's in it, it can be laborious to actually do the workout but you usually feel quite refreshed and accomplished after you've done that whereas avoiding a bad habit say okay avoiding smoking well you don't even get a benefit necessarily you get a you get a benefit in comparison to what you would have otherwise been but otherwise you're just back to a baseline compared to everyone else who doesn't smoke but it's Mm -hmm. very hard to then sort of instill that into someone and 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 you need to almost have a very uh attractive narrative or or ethos or sort of virtuous underpinning to why you're engaging in this new habit or trying to stop that other habit and i come back to this guy again but you know someone like jordan peterson who says something as simple as hey clean your room because it's a little microcosm of the world that you control and if you can effectively clean and organize your room that then shows that you're capable of organizing your little space in the world and and organizing it in a way that's optimal for everyone and then you can sort of move on to your community or your family and 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 expand yeah. from there but if you just tell someone clean your room that's not as compelling so you you almost need to have mm. a story attached to why someone may need to change and that's why I, I really think you know when when it comes to change in a relationship you need to say well you're not just changing for me you're changing for the sake of this relationship for the yeah. for the long-term success and for the health of this relationship both people it's likely both people will have to alter themselves a little bit now again if we get into the point where people are completely changing who they are that's not healthy either but uh you you, you almost have to see the relationship again I talk, I say this a lot but you have to see the relationship as something beyond the individual selves that are part of that relationship and 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 ask the question all right so what's going to be good for this relationship say in your situation like if if two people can um, or at least if you can show that like you respect that Adrian's love language there and, and are willing to clean for, for for not only him, but just again, for the sake of the relationship, because then he doesn't feel the frustration. He doesn't feel like he's not being loved. And similarly, if yeah. he then like engages mm-hmm. in those acts of uh, mm-hmm. physical affection, which both of those things may not come naturally to you, but over time mm-hmm. for the good of the, the relationship exactly. of Adrian and uh, Eliza, this is this is what, we should be doing and and any habit is tough to to start even something as whether it's 
getting off drugs or it's something as simple as yeah cleaning it's 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 not easy and, and you don't bear that cost two minutes exactly yeah. you don't bear that cost because he does clean up after you um yeah and because it means I so just much like to, to him, say though so. i cleaned the house myself this morning i did Good do on it you. so there you go. Stepping in the right direction. But yeah, it's a it's a really good point. It's it should take two minutes to start any habit. And it's also that, you know, that other concept, one percent every day. If you improve one percent every single day, then by the end of the year you've improved over three hundred percent. Um and start small and work it into your daily routine because as soon as you just stop enjoying something or it seems like a lot of work or it seems tiring, you know, people say how I don't have the time to exercise or I remember Adrian said the other day, I don't have the time to meditate, but meditating takes 10 minutes. Um, and mm. I was like, hang on, how do you not have the time to meditate? It's because he doesn't enjoy it's it, but I make time to meditate because I enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I guess an interesting kind of twist is not just those habits for your well-being, but for your, uh, you know, your own psyche and your psychological well-being. People that have say, um, like Adrian has, um, anxiety and sometimes it can get frustrating when he does have you know he's spiraling in his anxiety and i'll be like what have you done to try and work your way through this because you know you've you've sought support for this before and these are the habits they've told you right like journal or meditate stand outside get fresh air put cold water on your face what of these habits have have you done to you know try and like, I'm saying it a lot more gently than how I'm saying it now. No, of course, but that's fair enough. And nine times out of ten, he he hasn't done anything because he's stuck. He's stuck in that usual cycle. So I have to kind of push him to let's do one of those things in order to break this cycle. And every time he does it, it usually helps him. But yet, when the next time he becomes anxious, he never instinctively goes to to do those things. So for someone like that, what I would be saying is implement those strategies into your daily routine. Don't wait until you're, you know, don't wait until you have in the midst of an anxiety meltdown or spiral or something like that, where the thought of going and meditating isn't going to work. But if you're already habitually doing that or putting cold water on your face, taking a cold shower, you're going to instinctively get up and do that anyway when you're feeling anxious throughout the day. So it's starting those habits already, not just when you're um, about to be triggered by something. And it's, you know, the same for binge eating or eating disorders or anything of that kind of hmm. realm. Yeah. And it, it is difficult when, like I said, some of those are uh, long-term benefits and also that, that they're, in the same likeness to a drug addiction becoming a trauma response, there's clearly some sort of like un unease response that's occurring mm -hmm. with, say, binge eating or, or smoking or whatever it is. It's like every yeah. time you feel a bit, uh, you feel bad about yourself or you've had a bad day, oh, I'm going to have a burger, whatever. And, and, and just those little adjustments where like, all right, instead of a burger, let's have the low calorie, even just start with the low calorie burger. And then, all right, you're yeah. just slowly weaning yourself off. Uh, it is so so much of this is environmental, isn't it? Because I I was reflecting yes. on why I'm so obsessed with uh, getting to a certain point in in comedy and 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 just my career in general, and and it's so easy for me to turn down social gatherings when, especially when I have work on, and it's never an excuse. Uh, but when I was younger, it was an excuse because I actually didn't enjoy social gatherings because I wasn't particularly fond of going to parties and i also mm. i suppose i did have a lot of uh 
insecurity and and I didn't feel like I I uh, uh was well received at certain social uh situ- in social so- situations and as a result it wasn't enjoyable for me so there was no reward for me to 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 go there and it it actually felt like work but what didn't feel like mm. work was what I was good at which was either and and something I was in control of which was either essentially studying or performing mm. and uh working on my uh, my videos and my and my craft and it's very hard for me because I always never understood why don't people have that same drive or that same sort of mentality to just it's not hard say no to your friends when they say let's go have some beers and it, it, like it, what's the big deal you say no mm-hmm. but for a lot of people that's their you know that's their smoking mm-hmm. like that's what they enjoy yeah. that's what they need and it's part of who they are whereas for me ironically enough what i need and part of who i am was to be able was to work and it actually served me really well and it's just a matter of chance that my environment happened uh, sort of occurred in a way that drove me to a, a certain habitual exercise being something that was one stress alleviating but also beneficial for me in the long run yeah. and it was just a How matter good. of chance so it's well, not even that I'm particular like, like yeah okay yeah I also valued certain things and yeah I'm not saying like I am where I am purely because of luck but but envir- there was a lot of environmental luck and just pure mm. chance that that caused my psyche to enjoy certain habits that uh, cumulatively uh, had the effect of, well, success in the comedy world as opposed to someone else who may uh, enjoy certain habits that would be uh, socially nourishing in the short term but may not have a long-term benefit well the long-term benefit is that they maintain their sort of sense of social and mental health uh, comparatively to someone like me potentially there but uh, there's a lot of just chance environmental factors that comes with the habits we form and and it's it's truly the mark of someone who has objectively thought about themselves and their identity to make a conscious effort to change those behaviors and you, you you do have to um change the way you perceive yourself and how your identity is uh, almost formatted within you and and that can go a long way to changing little parts of yourself but it gets harder as you get older because your the neuroplasticity in your brain isn't as uh it's well it's not as neuroplastic as it was before I think it's mid-20s when it sort of solidifies there but you can do it and you have to start thinking about the people around you and 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 this this comes down to maybe this culture lacks something beyond the self and beyond uh what is convenient for us in 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 a given moment or even in a given lifetime but what is maybe best for society at large and and for a, a workplace or for a community or for a relationship uh if you start asking yourself those questions it gives you that extra incentive to engage in a behavior that may otherwise not come naturally Mm -hmm. to you so and that's kind of how you have to be mindful because if you do things unconsciously you're just going to keep doing the same thing and if you're a mindful thinker and or or maybe alternatively an overthinker as well you'll be considering these things all the time like what is what is the best thing that i can do in this moment and it, it is hard you have to give ourselves credit in the sense that the human brain has literally evolved to prioritize immediate reward 
over delayed reward. So I think that in order to change whatever the habit is, you have to somehow psychologically think that there is an immediate success or reward to whatever it is you're doing, whether that be, well, I've taken one step closer. But another thing that makes me think about you and like, you know, knowing you in high school, not knowing you in high school, but knowing what you were like in high school and your high ATAR and things like that is that people that are high achievers actually have much more impulse control and much more ability to um, stay away from situations that are tempting than people that are not high achievers. So it's an interesting correlation there. Or maybe you are a high achiever because you've stayed away from situations that are tempting and you have that control. So very interesting um, kind of dynamic there. Mm. Whereas you you could stay away from, let's say, getting ice cream every night or you can stay away from going to parties where there's drugs when you know there's a show where people that have poor impulse control which i know i do i'm immediate like let's reward myself right now i've just spoken on a podcast for three hours or whatever i'm gonna go i'll probably have a burger tonight like <laughs> i'm always about how do i reward myself and it's <laughs> whether or not how can i find a reward that's actually like help healthy and helpful and progresses you so that's that's the hard part. Well, uh, like I said, what what was just a sort of chance be- benefit for me is mm-hmm. that I never felt like parties or engaging in that sort of behavior was a reward. It felt stressful to me. It actually felt <laughs> yeah. well, most people feel pressure in having to study and having to partake in, in work. I felt pressure in social situations. I felt pressure to be a certain person at parties and to do all these behaviors that I didn't see of were of any benefit to me other than like, oh, maybe I could get a, you know, a girl will like me if I do that. That was the one like reward I felt like was worthwhile yeah. that made it worthwhile to go to these things. Uh, whereas, and then, and just sort of comparatively, the reward for me was actually being able to do what I loved. And as a result, it just sort of both situations um, continually amplify. And so that it, 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 when you get, better at a certain craft and and the then the rewards become disproportionate to the amount of work you're actually putting in so as i got better as i achieved more that became even more of a reward the the reward mechanism yeah. just exacerbated itself and and the uh the uh, uh the punishment if you will mechanism continually exacerbated itself in on the other yeah. end because i continually gave myself more things to do and every time i would do something where i i then look back on and felt like i should have had impulse control the punishment for that was stronger because then i missed out on certain things i didn't meet a certain deadline i didn't do mm. something that i really wanted to do and i uh well I, in in many ways then i actually sort of punished myself in the way i thought yeah. but um some people yeah. say that's not healthy but I've, I've sort of been reflecting on it a little bit and i think that's just the way I yeah. sort of happened to my my consciousness happened to evolve. And as a result, it makes a lot of sense as to where I am now. As you say, it's a chicken and egg scenario. Does Was I just intrinsically mm. always going to be a high achiever? And then I engaged in certain behaviors because of that. Or was it because like certain behaviors were rewarded to me based on pure mm. environmental chance, as I've expressed. And that then mm. made me a, a bit more of a high achiever. And then those behaviors continually exacerbate. So it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes very unconscious that a certain yeah. behavior that may objectively be a, a bad long term strategy for someone to live a, a high, a life full of uh, fulfillment, uh, it just could be pure chance that they've 
found that behavior in whatever environment they've found themselves in. And as a result, it's very hard to sort of break that unconscious link mm. that they may have towards that. But if people can understand what we've spoken about today, how we've gone a bit deeper into habit forming and behavior, I think it will give people that extra incentive to be able to change because you have to change in some way. Like everyone has to change. Uh, and it, sometimes if you don't, you'll, you'll face very severe consequences for it down the mm. line. A perfect example is your drugs or your alcohol. I mean, like I say, I'm not trying to... Relationship breakdown. Yeah, I'm not trying to stand on a high horse here. I do both of those. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, if you, if I were doing it every day, I mean, we're talking about cancer here. Like that is that is the cost you will pay in 30 yeah. years' time if you don't stop those behaviours or at least make an attempt to stop those behaviours. And uh, similarly with a relationship, if there's that continual stress that builds up within your partner then it actually becomes harder for them to be more forgiving because there's this constant like every time they're not engaging in a way that they feel is respectful for what they require in the relationship that the the stress continues to build up and then it's very like at the start Mm -hmm. when people were very forgiving for certain uh traits or behaviors that their significant other may have that like each time there is that degree of forgiveness there that it becomes harder to forgive the next time and i know yeah. this we're talking about very minor behaviors here but i think there is also a cumulative effect there to the point where if five years into the relationship and someone's stuck stuck to that relationship in the hope that they may change or that something they'll eventually learn to deal with but they haven't properly learned to deal with it and that resentment is built up to such a degree where even if that person does then take Take, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, take steps which would have been met with positivity three years ago. It's yeah. too late, and that that those steps and now just causing more resentment in that person who now says, "Well, why didn't you do that a while ago?" So yeah. it's a fine line, and I find it very interesting actually. To, to we need to do like a five part podcast on this. I feel yeah. like we've just like just scratched the surface. It's so it goes a lot deeper, doesn't it? Mm. Definitely, definitely. Um, I guess to, to wrap this up, what do you think, this is a question I think I posed at the start of the podcast, what do you think the obligation for a person is to continually, let's say that there's always a cost to, not always, some people get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of helping others. And, and um, in fact, most people do, but like there's also a cost when it's say someone who's really at a bad stage of their life or as we don't like that word here, but like if it's a toxic person, you know, it's, it's, there's a cost to you mentally and sometimes even physically. It can be very stressful trying to continually help someone. Maybe they're a relative. Maybe they are a significant other. Maybe they're someone you work with. Uh, at what point does it become, you know, one, uh, like what I think that quote by Einstein, which is like, what is it? It's just, uh, I've forgotten, but stupidity is doing some, th- the same thing and, expecting a different and result expecting a different response but also yeah. morally at, at, at what point do we say well there's no longer a moral obligation to help someone when it's just continuously diminishing your self-esteem it's diminishing your energy yeah. and it's just hurting you as a person and they're not even showing a slight change in trajectory there's just nothing happening or if you know what's worse is mm. they give you this hope that oh they've changed and then they spiral back down uh, where yeah. do you draw the line there? Because it's yeah, it's really interesting because in some scenarios, let's say you have a drug or alcohol addicted child or parent or someone in your family, it's almost like society expects you to be there to support them 
over and over and over again. Um, whereas something on the other side, let's say, you know, your partner has a porn addiction. People may expect you to well, see if they can work through it or blah, 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 do this, this and this. But slightly less, some are more inclined to be like, well, you know, if you walk away, that's totally justified. And then on the very on the end of the spectrum, you have someone with that cheats on you and everyone's like, leave that person immediately. Don't try support them. Don't try seek support, whatever. Or if you continue to go back to them, then you're weak as a person. So I think in order to make that call for yourself, when do you walk away is when, when is it impacting you too much? When is it impacting you and draining you and taking your energy, making you having a, I guess, more than just um, an impact of those, you know, 20 minutes or hour, whatever that you spend with that person. Is it impacting your sleep? your um, emotional well-being, your work, your friends, your social life, what impact is this person having on you? And if there is more impacts than just the hour you spend with them, then it might be the sign to take and put a boundary in place to protect yourself a little bit more. Yeah, it's a tough one because it's very contextual. And also there are situations where it is quite virtuous to to sort of, you know, suffer through that and in the hope that they'll eventually change. And some would even say that even if they don't change, it's important to live in a way that is uh, conducive to uh, giving everyone the best chance and maybe those behaviours will rub off onto the other people around you and they can see, oh, this person's so forgiving to this other person in their life and they're helpful. Mm. I need to be that way. So there is a, there's, a, there's an individual cost and benefit, but what I find very interesting is also the societal cost and benefit of having a different moral outlook on what's more important the the um the sanctity and the well not just the sanctity but the sort of the, just the 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 uh the the mental state of the helper versus the state of the helpy if mm. you want to call it like that and then how does that even affect the way that we as a society see things like uh, government support programs and welfare and things like that, because I mean, that's a whole other podcast, but you know, I think mm-hmm. it all starts from how we define the morality of ha- ha- to what degree does an individual owe their, um, you know, a loss of their uh, optimal self in order to try and help another person, especially if that help isn't actually showing uh, effect and isn't, isn't bearing any fruitful consequences there. Um, and then you can sort of extrapolate that and, and make really broad philosophical um, assertions there. But that, again, that would be another podcast. But it'll be interesting yeah, to see what people say in the comments about yeah. all of these sorts of things. And many, many would say a- uh, in this day and age, people are self-focused. But then many would also say in this day and age, we've become more uh, sort of altruistic towards yeah. other groups and other communities compared to what we were historically. Mm-hmm. But then we've also sort of value the importance of how it, uh, the 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 health of the self and and you know we can't be expected to uh, live up to an ideal if we don't believe in that ideal and and we feel that ideal is sort of maybe outdated but yeah um i'll i'll leave it there for me uh do you have any concluding remarks on on this podcast eliza I feel like any concluding remark is going to start up something Probably new. I'll, okay, so I won't say anything. I'll leave it there with you. Okay, all right. All right, well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, listening and or watching. If you watched, you got to see these uh, sexy little lights that I got. We'll change the color next week. Uh, I'm not okay. sure. You're going to have to watch to pink. see. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, all right. Maybe we'll, we'll think about the pink. Um, 
you know what? Yeah, sure, we'll go with pink next episode. But uh, once again, steadyfreddy.com, use the code SEXCELLS for 15% off. CrushOrganics.com, use the code NEIL for 40% off. Uh, NeilDan.com to see me live at NeilKolhatka.com slash podcast to ask us a question. Follow Eliza on Instagram, uh, Eliza Joy Wilson. Follow the Sex Sells Podcast. It's just Sex Sells Podcast, not the Sex Sells Podcast. Uh, Sex Sells Podcast on both TikTok and Instagram. Have a good rest of your Wednesday and rest of your week. We'll see you next time. See you next week.